Socialites, welcome back to the Social Studies Podcast, the podcast where I study being social by being social. Hell yeah. I am getting better at saying that. It just like rolls off my tongue like, I don't know, spaghetti squash. Why I said that, I don't know. That does remind me to tell you I've fallen down many more rabbit holes since we last spoke. Um, Twitter has a really interesting, seedy very sexual dark side that like the average Twitter user doesn't even know of. And I have to be honest with you guys, this might be a little much. If you're driving in the car and you have your kids in the car, I would just like turn this down so we can hear this one part together. I saw a man on Twitter quite literally fuck a spaghetti squash this week. Saw that. Can't unsee that. His caption was, I always wanted to do this. And I was sitting there like, you are a grown man. You are not a teenage boy on a farm, no less. Like what? Like what? Go find yourself a consenting human and do that to a body, not a poor vegetable. God, there are starving kids in, you know what? I don't really like when people say there are starving kids in insert other country here. There are starving kids in my fucking backyard, okay? Like, can we just worry about starving kids in general and not worry where they're from? Oh, wowzer. Did you guys know that I have ADD, by the way? If you didn't, now you do. It's been a week. It's been a week. You're, I'm, I'm really good at making the world seem like I'm always happy. Like number one question I get is always like, how do you always stay in high spirits all the time? And, I'm, and this is the truth. I don't. Newsflash, I'm a human too. But I just, I like to portray myself on the internet. Not portray myself, but I like to show the positive sides of my life and what I'm doing. I like I like to laugh. And I like to you to come to my shit to like to laugh with me and to laugh at what I'm laughing at. That's why I do it. But we're podcast listeners, so we can get on that real rail, right? The parents of the Dombrowski household, let me just tell you guys, are, um, how do I say this? Falling the fuck apart. Jesus. Those two, Ron and Fran Dombrowski, when... When they go, they go in pairs, all right? About four or five years ago, my mom went to the hospital for, uh, I think she, she had her like, gallbladder removed or some shit. She was having like renal failure. That's your liver. I don't fucking know. She had some shit going on in like her abdominal area, was admitted to the hospital. My dad goes to visit her. Wakes up in the middle of the night while he's in there, gets her cords wrapped in his feet, falls to the ground, gets a concussion, and then he's in the ER, and they're in like two different rooms in the hospital like at the same time. And I like go to work the next day and get this call. Hey, by the way, both your parents are in the hospital. I'm like, oh my God, this is too much. This is too much. My dad also had a heart attack one time while my mom was in the hospital as well, in the hospital together again. And what do you fucking know? Back at it again this week. The week starts like this. Uh, Quick pause to let you know that Ron Dombrowski is the most stubborn man in the world. If there was a competition called 
America's stubbornest, I would for sure submit him for that competition. And if he didn't win, I would disown him because I'm that competent with his stubborn sabbatity, we'll say. New word. Coin it. So my dad gets these like, I, I think they're bone spurs. I don't know. And they make it like really painful for him to walk. Like if you were to see him walk, you would say, are you a pirate? And there's a wooden leg under there that we can't see because that's what it looks like when you walk. No, nope, just this weird foot growth that he gets removed so many times a year. So finally, his podiatrist, which side note, who the fuck goes into being a doctor and is like, you know what? Let me study feet. What? Convinced every podiatrist has some sort of foot fetish. And I will find out because I'm going to go look on the dark side of Twitter after this. The podiatrist tells him, we have two choices here. You can come in the rest of your life and I'll fucking shave this thing off. And you're going to have trouble walking. Or, 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 or we'll amputate your toe and part of your foot. Ron Dombrowski, without question. Oh, sure, for sure. Cut it off. Like, what? Dad, I'm pretty sure you need your fucking foot, bro. So the week starts with getting that little tidbit of information. Sidebar again, I'm an only child. They have a really bad habit of keeping health stuff from me because they think it's going to like ease the pain of me being across the country and them over there. Newsflash, it doesn't fucking help. It makes things worse. Get a call on Friday morning from my dad that my mom's in the hospital with vertigo-like symptoms can't walk, is like too dizzy to function. She basically looks like a rabbit that got caught in the washing machine on accident. She's puking all over the place, goes to the hospital. They don't let my dad in because of COVID. Come to find out this shit's been going on since fucking Wednesday. And I'm just finding out about it. I'm pissed. I'm pissed as hell. So yeah, when they go down, they go down in pairs. So it's been a hell of a week. I've been a little bit absent-minded. I feel like my life is in disarray. I don't know if any of you are only children. I am. When you're an only child, you have this like overwhelming sensation to like always have to like take care of your parents. And I'm all the way over here in Seattle. And it's like, what am I just going to like trust my aunts and uncles and cousins with your two stubborn asses? Yeah, right. And then what am I going to be over here? And then one day they're like, we took care of your parents. They're in a very nice nursing home. And then I'm going to fly back to Michigan thinking everything's great. Get there. Walk into a wall of piss scent upon arrival with Gertrude with her ass hanging out, walking down the halls, talking to her pretend cat and shit. That's not going to happen on my watch. So being over here and them getting old over there, it's not working for me. It's not working. I very much feel like my life is in like a disconnect. We're going to get into that a little bit. Our podcast guest today, Jesus Trejo, has a lot of the same shit going on in his life. It's I'm so glad we connected. Anyway, I got some questions from you guys I want to answer. Sorry for bringing you guys down. I just want to give you the real real on my life. You got to know that I got the stubbornest parents in the universe. Okay, questions from y'all. Let's see what we got here this week. 
Danny Hoffman, Danny Hoffman from Pittsburgh writes, why do I feel the need to get myself a, some celebratory fast food for every time I leave the house? Mama don't need any more fast food or Starbucks. What the crap? But the actual question is, does everyone else feel like they need to reward themselves for going out in public? <sighs> Danny, I'm going to be honest with you because I'm always honest with you. I know I'm a salad bitch. I know I'm really, 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 really hard working on this shit, but... I understand. Yesterday, I got my hair cut, had a few drinks with friends after my haircut, and I felt really good about being a presentable human being in the United States of America right now. So I had Morgan stop at Taco Bell and I got a chalupa on my way home. I did. I rewarded myself for fucking nothing. Who are we? Here's the thing. Morgan says this all the time, and it's going to be the next thing that I get tattooed on my face. Everything in moderation, including moderation. That was actually his Tinder profile when we met, by the way. Everything in moderation, including moderation, girl. You want fast food? Get it. You want egg bites from Starbucks? Get it. But like once a month, maybe. I don't know. What's ever good for you? Monica Craig from Chilliwack, British Columbia, BC. We got the Canadian princess up in the house. What's up, Monica? Monica says, have you ever heard from other teachers who have contacting you and how are they surviving this year? Just curious what other educators are doing. Yeah, I hear from them all the time. I have a series coming out online with some crazy things that have been going on in the classroom. I saw the craziest one this week. A teacher recorded their students because students are, you know, getting a little too comfortable in their houses. They're just pulling up the blankets and falling asleep while the teachers are teaching. That's not going to happen. But this one kid pulled up his blanket and turned out the light. So all you see is this little kid laying in bed. And all of a sudden, a raccoon, a raccoon comes into his bed and they like gracefully like kind of like touch and cuddle. And I'm over here like, okay, wait, I have so many questions. Is this this kid's raccoon? Is that your raccoon? Or did this thing just fall from the attic and the little kid got excited like, oh, well, I guess I got a raccoon now. That happened. There's people are wilding out. It's crazy. That's what's going on, Monica. Oh, this one's good. Can't use this person's name. This person said, also, hey, girl, she said, don't use my name, but tell me your thoughts on not being initially physically attracted to someone, but they treat you wonderfully. Is physical attraction something that can come later in on a relationship? Is it okay to not feel the spark right away? Am I normal or am I awful? I have had this happen to me so many times, and I'm just going to be so blunt. If you do not want to bone right away, I'm not saying to bone right away. If you do not want to bone right away, like you don't have the urge, what makes you think you're going to want to bone later? I have never seen somebody who I'm not attracted to. And then like down the road was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. Like, no, it doesn't happen. Like we can tell ourselves all day, like, they're going to be a great person and they're going to grow on me and it's going to be the best thing ever. Are you really willing to wait? And are you will really willing to drag somebody through that? Like, think about it on the other hand. What if you're like, I'm going to take a chance on this and it never gets that way. You just brought them all up in your shit and you still don't want a bone. I don't think it makes you an awful person. We are attracted to specific humans for a reason. Like, that's what draws you in. Like, if the pheromones aren't making you randy, 
then do not give him that candy. That's my final word. The end. This episode couldn't have came at a better time. Jesus Trejo, uh, like literally so many similarities of our life, but also so vastly different. Such a cool guy and hilarious, hilarious, hilarious comedian who does a lot of comedy based around the fact that he is also an only child taking care of his older parents. So this came at a perfect time. You guys, without further ado, the Social Studies Podcast with Jesus Trejo. Try to catch me howling at the moon. Hello, you guys. I'm here with Jesus Trejo. Super excited to have him. Jesus, thank you for coming on the Social Studies Podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. It's a pleasure to meet you. And here we are, early morning for me. Right, same. This is the first thing I'm getting started with my day. <laughs> okay, so before before we were recording, you were saying, "Don't give you a spelling yeah, test." Yeah, I, I was excited to meet you. I'm like, man, I hope he doesn't give me a, like a like a like a spelling test because, man, I'm a bad speller. Like, I'm I'm more of a phonetics kind of guy. You know, I just like you know, in Spanish, that's how it works, right? It's like right. you know, you hear the word, you spell it as you hear it. In English, not so much. You know, it's that video was kind of like karma for me because I feel <laughs> the minute that thing went viral, I was never spelling shit right again. <laughs> it's funny how life works that way, man. I'm a, I, I don't know that anyone's a good speller anymore only because of word processors. Like we, we were so dependent on that red squiggly line, right clicking going, that, that that seems about right. And it's like, you wrote the wrong witch. It's like, dang it. Right, right. And then I would do it in the classroom and I did it. I sent an email out to my entire classes, all their parents, every single kid parent. And uh, I said, t-shirt money due. But I said, I spelled it t-shit money due. Beautiful. It was like, <laughs> and then I worked that into a set and it was fantastic. Perfect. <laughs> That's what's so great about comedy, man. It's like whatever... You know, I always talk about this in any line of work, like anything that happens wrong or that, that happens to you as a person is, is, is such a devastating thing. But in comedy, it's it's an asset. You know, it's like that that emo could have been devastating in, in any other setting, but you do comedy. So it's like, hey, let's talk about it. This is great. And people relate to stuff like that. The other thing, too, that's really funny that people never realize is that I, do you have any experience with like kids? I know you're an only child, so you don't have any nieces or nephews, but do you have like any kids in your life? Uh, yeah, there. Yeah, there's a ton of kids. I, you know, I come from a big family. I also, at, at a like for a whole year, I was an ABA instructor. So I work with clients ages three to seven, no right way. before they were, you know, diagnosed or, or had been diagnosed early on. But I, I work with clients. I mean, I, I remember having, you know, I came up at the comedy store, so I would, I would go and park cars at the store, right, and you know, you get out of the club like at two or three in the morning and I'm, I'm working the door, you know, tickets, parking cars, whatever I needed to do to get stage time. Right. Yep. And during that time, I was also working at a elementary school and I work with an agency. So I would go down there and it's tough. Yeah, no, it's, you know, working with kids is tough. You know, they're very honest and sometimes they're not in a good mood and you're just going to be like, all right, today's going to be one of those days. And you just try to show as much patience as you can. But isn't this, this is the truest shit, right? And you can confirm this with me. Working with kids makes you better at working with hecklers because it's the oh same thing. Dead on, dead on, man. Because 
you have to be quick on your toes and or you die yeah, or yeah or you die exactly but yeah working with kids i i think i definitely took that away into like and in, into stand up it's like you know that year of me working with the clients that i had it's like i, I was prepared for anything because in the morning you show up and then they may or may not be in a good mood and you just kind of have to you know be ready to clap back in a positive way if that makes sense Totally. And I, I literally felt like that that was the best training I ever could have had. I never took, did you ever take classes like comedy classes? I did early on, but mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't know that that was, I mean, I mean, I tried it. I don't know how much I was going to say, I don't know how much help it did, but it's like, as I'm saying it, I, I can't discredit it. I mean, it's part of the journey. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I definitely took a class early on. I'm, I'm sure there's a bunch of things I got from them. I, I even took UCB. I took, you know, the improv classes. For sure. Um, I, I, I took a few of those. I took the writing ones. And I don't know. I think there's nothing like like trial and error and like experience in the field. Like you, you, you can't learn that in, in theory. You have to go out there and, you know, figure it out. Trial and error. That's the basis of what we do as, as, as comics. Exactly. And that's, I met, I've met so many comics who have like done similar things like you had with kids or were teachers in, in their other lives or whatever it was. And I swear to God, you make so many more split second decisions working with kids that also Mm -hmm. not discrediting taking comedy classes. But when I was getting to the point where I'm like, I'm going to do comedy, I was kind of like, no, I think I, I think I got it. Mm-hmm. You know, it just like comes to you. Yeah, so like, like I'm, I'm very much a slow learner, and mm-hmm. it, it took me some time to really understand that. And you know, it's like when I first started, you know, they give you three minutes, and I couldn't fill in the time. I would write five minutes for a three minute set, and I would, you know, rifle through the material in two minutes. As I, you know, got older into, you know, comedy years, as I got older, started, you know, hosting. I never could do the time. Then I started featuring. I couldn't do the time. Right. And then, you know, I realized this learning style of mine once I started headlining, you know, once I started doing one hitters and that kind of thing, because I'm like, I have the material, but why can't I do it? I always kind of fell short of where I needed to be. And I feel like my learning style, like I, I, I just I wish I would have known that early on and I would have been a little more comfortable with the journey. So I want to ask you, do you feel like everything snapped like into place early on for you? Uh, No, absolutely not. So I taught for 10 years and I got into comedy my first year teaching. So Mm, once I I had, when it, when my video snapped and it popped, I had already had, I'm from Detroit. So I had a a local fan base kind of like, it wasn't uncommon for me to get up on stage and for people to already like be familiar with what I do. So when I popped, I got a little bit of that stigma from other comics when I started to tour and headline around the country. People were like, oh, internet comic, internet comic. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like that launched what I had already been doing. So yeah, it, did, it didn't pop early on at all. Yeah, it, it's so tough. It took like, honestly, like the first five years were, were pretty devastating only because I, I just, I, I couldn't figure it out for the life of me. I. I would go in front of audiences and I said what I thought was funny. It wasn't clicking. My, my stage presence wasn't, you know, what I wanted it to be. And it took a long time. And it's like things didn't fall into place. Like me being like, okay, now I'm, I'm consistently writing stuff. I'm okay. You know, trying some, having it bomb, adjusting it, 
um, till like around year five, you know, year six is when I'm like, all right, I feel comfortable enough. And I've never, ever, ever been able to shake the nervousness. Do you deal with nervousness? Wait, wait, wait. Like to this day, you still get. Bro. No, no, no. I, I have stomach rumbles and I now know that the stomach rumbles are fake, you know, because before I would listen to them like, oh, I got to go to the restroom and I sit there. It's like, oh, it's nothing. I mean, it's nothing. But I to this day, I mean, I, I feel like I got to throw up sometimes when I go no on stage. Way. You see how my shirt is like right here. Yeah. You can tell that I perform like that night because my collar would be like a little drunk looking. It would be down here because I keep pulling it. Like I keep pulling it because I feel like even this, like right now I'm fine, but even this feels like there's somebody choking me kind of No thing. way. Yeah, dude. It's never gone away. And, and and let me tell you this, the handful of times where I felt like confident, like I'm going to go up there and, you know, give them a piece of my mind. I'm going to rock this. Complete bomb. Complete Shut bomb. Up. I'll tell you this story. So I was uh, working at the store, parking cars. You know, I had met Russell Peters during that time and he had a show at the Nokia theater, which is, I, I think now called the Microsoft theater here in Los Angeles. It's about 8,500 people, biggest crowd I've done to date. And, um, you know, he, he, he asked me, he's like, Hey, do you want to come and, and open up the show? I, I said, I would, I would love nothing more. Right. I go to the show and I'm nervous. I'm nervous, uh, sick to my stomach and I'm only going to do 10 minutes, mm-hmm. just 10 minutes. And, you know, he gave me a piece of advice. He said, when you're playing a big audience like this, just slow down your material, you know, set up, punch, wait a second or two, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, because the sound's going to travel and the laughs are going to come, you know, running down this way. Great piece of advice, but I was so nervous. I couldn't even take that in. We're, I'm, I'm about to go on stage and it's like, you know, moments away and I run to the bathroom and I just puke my face off. I just, no. I'm, 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 I'm talking Halloween cat arc back, just like I'm, I'm aggressively <laughs> Halloween cat. My That's face good. Off. And, um, and then they're like, now the announcement's going, I run out, I get on stage. I do my 10 minutes. It was okay. At best. I was a newer comic, whatever, you know, it, it, it was good for where I was at the time. Right. Right. And uh, I get off stage and I see the sound guys are also recording. This is the notorious world tour for Russell Peters. So they're recording a little documentary piece on it. And uh, I see the sound guys like folded over. He's like, did you just throw up before you went on stage? I'm like, yeah, how'd you know? Oh, He's like, God. you know, you're mic'd, right? I'm like, awesome. Like, why wouldn't I be? And I, I, I totally forgot that they had run a microphone through my shirt. So I'm mic'd and, you know, before I go on stage, I'm just like, oh, God, please stop. please. I'm like talking to myself. Oh, no, 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 no. All so that audio. All nerves, all, all, all nerves. And it was fine afterwards. It's fine. You know, and I carry it like a, like a toothbrush and a toothpaste for that reason, just in case I need to uh, puke my face off. Whoa, like man. Up. I would have never guessed. So I, I would have never guessed because the first time I saw you live was last summer. You opened for Bert in okay. LA and it was the second show of the night. And I, I remember like you just killed it. You did so well. And I I was talking to Judy after the show and she was like, yeah, he's still like flushing this shit out. And I was like, where? Like, cause you just had (laughs) such good like stage presence and you were very confident. I would have never guessed that you get nervous. I would have never guessed. Yeah, that show that you're talking about, I I remember being nervous, not crazy amount of nervous, but I was definitely nervous only because 
you know, there was a lot of managers and agents oh, who yeah. I know who are local there. And that's always, that always like, like even with Alex, you know, if, if he was to ever come to a show, I said, don't tell me like that you're coming to a show, just show up. And I'll talk to you afterwards. Cause if I know that like anyone I know is coming, even like friends and family, if I know they're coming, I'm, I'm like a mess. I have that rule with my family. They all, they, my family comes to a lot of shows and I always say, sit in the fucking back, sit in the back. Ah. They, they try to sit in the front and I'm like, no, because very similar to you, a lot of my jokes are about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, I you can't. talk about what you know, and it's like it's 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 the the people closest and dearest to me. So it's like, you know, just like sometimes that's tough. That's a tough conversation to have. I'm sure you've had those conversations with your friends and family, and it's like, well, you know, I understand it's coming from a good place. Like, let me sit in the front, let me be supportive. But it's, it's tough to look down and 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 see that friend or, or, or family member there. It's like, mm. I know it. Literally, it just knocks me off my ass every time. I'm like, I can't. I I don't think it can do it. So I told them, but I, I, what I like a lot about what you do too, is so much of what you do is about your parents and your mm-hmm. family. And it's just so raw and real. Um, but it sounds like growing up, like your life, what it was pretty tough and being an only child, you are still working with, with now you're n- nursing your parents or taking care of them full time. Is that what you do? Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, I, I became a caregiver at such a young age, you know, in one way or another. And it, it was slowly preparing me for how things were going to be unfolding as I got mm-hmm. older. So it's like, you know, my parents are from Mexico. Uh, I'm born in Long Beach, California. I'm born and raised. And even though I'm born here in the States, like my first language was Spanish. And um, my parents are only languages Spanish. And, you know, they know they know a little bit of English now and and even back then like my dad knew working like English you know he was a full-time construction worker and a full-time gardener it was very hard for them to like do normal stuff that we don't really think about I guess so I was always always on the assist like like almost like the interpreter the caregiver you know so my parents would go to the doctor they would go to the store they would go fill out paperwork and I would be on the I'd be there, nine-year-old kid, and you know, translating tough conversations between a doctor and your mom. You like, you don't want to hear that at such a young age. You're 11 years old. You're like, mom. But it's just what I had to do. And as as time went on, you know, my parents got sick, and I just assumed the 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 role of of caregiver. I was a full-time caregiver for for my mom, and you know, she got a brain surgery. She had a tumor taken out, and that kind of spun our whole world, man. That, yeah. that put our whole world upside down because. You know, it was my dad and I taking turns caring for my mom and, you know, I'm doing comedy. I'm trying to make that work. And there's so many things one one has to juggle, you know, if you, if you want to do comedy. And then, you know, years later, I think, you know, just because of my dad's life, you know, he's you know worked so hard his whole life. And then with the added stress of my mom those few years, I mean, I, you know, I don't know what it could have been. But also, you know, at that point, my dad now has colon cancer. So now it's like. I stopped comedy, you know, I stopped comedy for a while. I didn't know if I was going to be able to do it again or at what capacity I would be able to take that on. And things are better now, but it's like, they'll, they'll never be what they used to be. You know, it's like our mm-hmm. new 100%. I would say it's just like, a, it, it's our new baseline. It's, you know, maybe my mom's new 100% now is like 60%. And, you know, that's just stuff that you kind of have to deal with. It's the hardest thing for me. And I, 
I, a lot of my friends don't really understand because they come from big families or whatnot. But like the weirdest thing is just watching your parents get old. It's like, I'm like, I'm like watching my parents get old and I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? What am I going to do? Yeah. And comedy is really honest to God. It's my medicine. Like I don't, you know, I'm not just going to like pop a bunch of pills for this depression that I feel over it. But right. the comedy like keeps me going. Right with that and that's why it's so tough right now it's like I, I think the challenge right now for a lot of comedians it's like we put a lot of eggs in one basket and what i mean is that comedy is our career it's mm-hmm. our therapy it's our circle of friends it's so many things and so you know with with everything going on right now it's like the COVID of it all it's like we're not really doing a lot of stand-up as we know we're still finding creative outlets and that kind of thing but you know stand-up is such a big thing like like a big tool that I use to deal with my experiences. If if there was like, you know, a rough thing that happened that week, I try to take it on stage and see if I can. At the at, at the very least, I talked about it. You know, got it off my chest. It's like free therapy. And if I was able to get it to such a place where I could, you know, formulate a like a good joke, it's like, well, it ended up in the set. Now, with all of that said, what? pulled you in like because now you found it now you know that it works for you and it's like it helps you out in comedy you help it but what when did your mind go I want to try this that's a great question man I think it just starts as a young kid being a fan of comedy I mean for sure I'm I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're you're a huge fan of comedy from like a little kid I'm sure who was right? it for you who 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 was your first like Ooh, great question mine man. was Shit. Jim Carrey really yeah it was yeah, that Jim 90s Carrey? thing right what what was it about jim carrey that i that 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 made you gravitate towards him because i know what it is for me but I'm, I'm i'm curious to see what is it about jim carrey that that did it for you as a kid so my entire life my entire life in elementary school the teachers were like this kid's gonna be on tv this kid's gonna he's an entertainer the end so for him to see somebody who was goofy and wacky and had this body like he the things he did with his body the physical comedy and to see myself in that i was like this is what i'm this is what we're doing like this guy and i are vibing and i don't even know him so that was it for me for him yeah it definitely is a physicality and you know, I didn't I didn't come across Jim Carrey until like later. Like I said, my first language is Spanish. So mm-hmm. it's like I was introduced to, you know, comedians like uh uh Chespirito, right? So Chespirito was a a playwright and he got the nickname Chespirito from Shakespeare and he was tiny, so little Shakespeare, Chespirito. Okay, okay, okay. And and he was a soccer player turned playwright, and he was an amazing, amazing playwright, but he he wrote this show called um, El Chavo del Ocho, right? And it, it was like, there were many shows that he did, right? But the main staple of, of the shows that he did was about a kid that lived in a barrel, a poor kid that lived in a barrel in an apartment building. So in this apartment building, you have all the characters. You have, there was a woman uh, called the uh, the witch of, 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 of 71. Her apartment was 71 and called her a witch. There was a single father and his daughter hilarious uh the landlord was this big burly guy that would come in and everyone would you know just pick on him kind of thing and just drove him out the mailman would come in um there was a single mom and uh the kids professor would come and deliver flowers to this woman so they have all these characters and man i used to memorize this stuff from there i go into like silent films 
Buster Keaton, uh, Charlie oh, Chaplin, wow. uh, Lauren Hardy, like all of this stuff. Cause, cause I like, I like the physicality of it. Like that slapstick all day, all day. Really? Really? I'm, I'm, I'm hooked. And so Charlie Chaplin regarded Cantinflas, who I mentioned earlier, the street sweeper guy, as the funniest comedian alive. So it's like I, I started kind of seeing the through line. Then through there, I started, you know, getting introduced to like a Don Rickles, uh, Howie Mandel with Bobby's World, you know, uh, Louis Anderson with uh, Life with Louis. Um, and then in my head, I'm like, oh, dang, like comedians at the time, I didn't know what a comedian was, but it's like funny people get cartoons, you know? And okay. then with time, it's like Eddie Murphy got, you know, uh, the PJs and, you know, there's all these comedians who had cartoons and, I mean, I loved it. And now, from, from there, I start going into, like, stand-up. You know, Dave Attell, um, Stephen Wright, um, you know, Sam Kinison, Bill Hicks. Um, I'm, I'm doing a deep dive. I'm anything and everything comedy I'm, I'm consuming and, you know, and that's how I, I think it, it just like, like a pressure cooker. It's like, I had the, the, the Spanish comedians, I had the um, uh, Spanish speaking comedians and I had English speaking comedians. And I was just like, the, like, I have to do this, but I don't know how you get started. So I just, in high school, I made the decision. I didn't know how to do it. That was MySpace days. And I remember watching yes. people on, on MySpace and then eventually after, you know, once I was in college, I'm like, I'm going to try it. And I just stuck with it. And by the time I graduated, um, that's when I gave the degree to my parents. I'm like, this is for you guys. And I'm going to give this a shot. And then my dad and mom were like, you're crazy. Oh, my God. And so they were not game for this. No, it's just hard to explain a career in the arts to immigrant parents. You know, it's like, you know, they want you to have one of the golden careers, the, the you know, architect, lawyer. Okay. Um, you know, doctor, you know, they want one of the good ones. And it's like, and, and, and I get it, you know, they've sacrificed so much. They want the best, you know, the fear of having your son follow a career in the arts. It's, it's tough. You know, you don't want, you don't want your kids to struggle, you know, like they struggled. So it's like, you know, you have an education, you have something that we've never had, you know, as of middle school, you technically already have more education than, than, you know, both of my parents had combined. So it's like, as I'm graduating high school, graduating college, they're like, man, you know, the cycle has been broken. And then I say, I'm going to be a comic. I can only imagine the letdown. But I think that kind of feels like a sense of urgency in this, in, in this business. You know, it's, 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 it's fun. It's a great career. We're out there, you know, making jokes and having a good time. But there's a sense of urgency through it all to, hey, I need to make this work. One, I got my parents who, who are sick. I got to provide for them. Um, I need to show them that the decision I made wasn't a bad decision. Right. You, you know, it's like, and that I could use that degree to some extent in, in what I do now. I went to school for business. So it's like, there's, I could still use that degree. It just, you know, it, it was a lot of pressure and, and thank God now my parents have come around, which is, I, I think the best feeling, I, I you, you know, uh, to have them be like, okay, I see what you're doing. I don't really get it, but I see what you're doing and I support it. Let me shift gears a little bit. You just literally blew my mind. Okay. Really? Oh yeah. <laughs> so, so. Talk to me. What's up? One of the coolest things I think 
ever. Whenever people say, if you could have a superpower, what would you have? I always say, I would want to speak every language. I just think language is the coolest thing in the world. I'm monolingual. I only speak English. I think being bilingual is the it's the coolest thing. Do you perform in both languages or have you? I do. I, um, I went to Mexico and uh, started performing in Spanish. I started doing a show. I, you know, uh, a, a, two, two of my friends and I, we started a, like a, like a Spanish kind of stand-up group that we would do like small shows at the improv lab in, you know, in, in, yeah. in Hollywood. And it, it was something that we built from the, from the ground because even though LA is, you know, there's a huge Spanish speaking population here. It was kind of hard to market to the demographic that would come out. And, you know, it, you know, it was pretty exciting to see that a lot of like millennials were bringing their parents out. Oh, and that's cool. one of the things that I found like freaking cool, man, because growing up, it's like, I, I, I never, like, I hear my peers say, Hey, when I was little, we went to go watch Jerry Seinfeld or we went to go watch, you know, Brian Regan. And, you know, you know, they would talk about comedians that they had seen with their folks for a Spanish speaker. And I, I think it's across the board for any uh, Spanish speaker comedian that I've met is like, we've never had that experience of taking our parents or having our parents take us to go watch it. So once we started doing the shows in Spanish, we started seeing that. And it was like, that's pretty cool. And then I, I went to Mexico. I did some shows out there and it went well. I translated my set. And I started going back. I started going a, a bunch more. And then when I recorded this special, Stay at Home Son, um, I was like, man, I'm, I'm, you know, hopefully I, there's, a, there's a world in which I can perform, you know, um, an hour special in Spanish and, and have that be out there. And I was, I, I, I was working towards that. And then, you know, COVID happened. But yeah, the it's, worst. it's one of the coolest feelings to be able to perform in, in two languages to, to get laughs on, on, on both ends of, you know, in, in the States and in, in, in Mexico, it was like the coolest thing ever. And I, I hope to do more of it. That's amazing. That's, it's such a, it's such a, a raw natural talent for so many people. Like you said, your first, your first language was Spanish and you're still tapping into that. I just, I think that's so I'm straight up envious. I think it's amazing. Oh, but it, it, it's really challenging. I mean, there's a lot of like challenges that kind of come up, but they're fun because they're like puzzles within the comedy world. And what I mean about that, like, like, like what I mean is, you know, double entendres, word plays, uh, uh, similes and metaphors are different. You know, you're, you, you know, you have a different set of words and, you know, sounds and this kind of thing. So cadence is even affected when you say a joke and sometimes just because of we're like explaining something maybe backwards. So now I'm saying the joke backwards. Right. Oh, right. And, and it's, it's like car red. That doesn't make sense. But in Spanish it's carro rojo, you know? So it's like, now I'm telling the joke that I've told a bunch, but in my head I have to scramble, like unscramble it in real time. And it, there's something very oddly satisfying about that. So, um, stay at home, son. Do you do it in, have you done it in two languages or only English? Yeah, I, I performed it in, in Spanish. So when I was getting ready for my hour special, the, uh, there were some opportunities to go down in Mexico. My agent sent me like some offers that had come in. He's like, hey, I know you're working on your special. And it's kind of like, we're down to a few months before the taping. Do you want to do it? And at first I, I think I was like, oh, just let me focus on it. But then I, I remember sitting on it and thinking, it's like, man, if I could 
say like if, if I could technically translate the whole thing or as much as I can, I, I, I think it will help me with the English recording. Oh, so cool. I went out there, I did it, I had fun. And, and there were some tags and some things that came about just because I was looking at the same premise and the same joke that I've done a million times in a different way. And those tags ended up on the special. Um, I yeah. have, I always end the show with taking um, a question from the fans and I got a good one because I, okay, yeah, I was it. inspired by your positive outlook and your just like happy demeanor on stage. So Joseph R okay. wrote us and he said, girl, how do you block the haters? I see people saying crazy shit online all the time and I just cannot. How do, how do you, how do you keep it out? Yeah, that's a great question. It's like my homie Damar, right? Dear friend of mine, he's been a, you know, we started comedy together in or around the same time. And he used to say, he's like, man, your peace of mind is something so like valuable that you got to protect it at all costs. So it's like online people are gnarly. It's like, but I also don't know what that person's going through. So if I clap back in a very, mean way which i'm capable of doing is i i love you know i grew up snapping and saying all you know i mean it's like roasting people i don't know what the other person's going through right so if i clap back is that going to put them in a worse mood you know or i also know nothing about the other person but they also know nothing about me they're just going off of something they saw they're holding it on to so i try not to engage because it's like i'd rather protect what i got going on here or you know what I do? Sometimes online, people say the meanest things. And I, I clap back. I just say, hey, love you, man. Or I just drop a little heart. And they don't know what to do with it. Sometimes I reply back because like, why are you sending me a heart? Love you, man. And, and, and it just spirals them in a positive way. If I'm going to spiral somebody that I don't know what they're going through, I might as well just spiral them in a positive way. Yeah. And... I, I once remember there was a, a, you know, some guy sent some mean thing online and I'm just like, man, that kind of, it kind of bummed me out for the day. And then I just send, like, I sent a heart, which didn't feel good to send a heart and be like, Hey man, love you. I hope you're, you know, I hope you feel better kind of thing. And it, it kept going on and on. And I kept trying to stay positive to the point where I'm just about to say, Hey, go F off, bro. And I, I was going to say something really gnarly that I could have regretted. You know, but he DM me and was like, I was going through some stuff. My bad, bro. I'm usually not not, not that person. He's like, uh, there's something very disarming about sending a heart. Thanks, bro. That was no it. Way. That was it. I'll never forget that. And I, I, I'm just like, what, what, you know, why do people act a certain way? They're, it, it's usually not that. It's a man, like, that's something else manifesting into some negative energy, right? So it's like, if, if if I say F off, it's like, and I put them in a worse spot. I'm no better than that guy. Oh, dude, I'm taking one out of your book for that. That was good. Then the heart, bro, this arm in his hell, just like heart. Done. My go-to, my go-to with haters and comments like that has always been, um, I don't clap back unless I can make it funny because. Yeah, I, yeah, always funny. Yeah, right, funny, will, yeah. Always funny, <laughs> never mean, but. But even more than that, I like what you did because like that guy said, he's like, there's something disarming about it. Like it doesn't, what to do. It just, it spins them in a positive way. That's great. I clapped back the other day and it, it, the only reason I clapped back because it was fun 
and it was this one. Look, I don't have the best teeth in the world. I always say they look like downtown LA from far away. <laughs> That's good. But I own it's it. Good. I own it, right? <laughs> so so somebody said, so I posted this video of me swimming. Okay. And you see the worst side of my teeth, whatever. It is what it is, you know? Um, and I, I even blocked the person's face and name, right? Uh-huh. And they, they said, teeth said, Y equals 3X plus 5. Trying to get his rocks off. I get it. You know, he's trying to like be funny. And I said, ha ha ha, by the way, your equation is, is in slope intercept form, which means a straight line. Like my teeth aren't straight, um, which is uh, undefined if you want to get technical. It was just very stupid, but it just like you did I had it. fun with that. No yep. harm, no foul. Yeah. And he even liked it and was like, ha 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 ha. I don't <laughs> right. know if he was trying to be mean, but let's just say that he was just trying to be funny and I clapped back because my feelings were hurt. Now he's pissed off. Yep. But if yep. I clap back in a, in, in a fun way, we both had a laugh. We both had a laugh. That's a good one. The, the best, the best time, the, I don't even think this was good. I probably should have just shut my mouth. I did a video. I told you I, I like doing pranks, right? So I convinced a group of kindergartners that I was working with that I was an actual mermaid and they bought it. And when they started to question me, I said, if I was a real mermaid, could I do this? And I threw my legs up and I was like flapping my legs and they're like, Oh my God, he's a mermaid. He's a, he's a mermaid. And they sold it, sold it, posted the video. And this woman wrote like a damn paragraph. She was like, this is why children don't trust adults. You are teaching them that adults lie and this is, you're, you're deceiving them and all this stuff. So I, when this happens to me, I spiral and I go down a rabbit hole of that person. I'm gonna look you up. I'm find out where you work. I want to know who's your husband, how many kids you have, what state you're from. I'm looking up you on like in yellow book pages, girl, I'm going to find your address. That's me. Okay. So I look up this girl and she is Disney World obsessed. Disney World obsessed. Takes her kids all the time. Moved to Orlando to just like being closer to the kingdom of Disney. And I was like, I got it. So I wrote back and I was like, how are you going to say that when you convince your kids that there's a six foot walking, talking mouse that lives in a castle in Orlando, Florida? And it, the comments on my comment were just and I was like I did it I'm I want loose. I, I came loose. up on top it's it's humor like humor brings humor. it brings people together and it is it's disarming you know how you talked about earlier about what superpower you were you would want yeah there's no need for anything else you have a superpower and it's comedy it's humor yeah any in, in any situation you've ever been in you've used that to disarm to make somebody feel good at ease whatever it's like we have it. It's it's it, it's it's a it's a blessing, and it could be a curse at times, you know. But <laughs> right. it, it's more of a blessing. It uh, all depends on how you use it. Yeah. Hey, Jesus, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the podcast. No, thank uh, you. Where, man. where can people find you? Give us all your shit. Like, where can we watch the special? Like, what's the tea? Yeah, you can catch me. Uh, a website is jesustrejo.com. Instagram, at jesustrejo, the number one. That's J-E-S-U-S-T-R-E-J-O, and a number one. Uh, special stay-at-home son streaming now on Showtime. Season two of Tacos con Todo is, uh, first episode starts the 25th. Trailer's out now 
on First We Feast and uh, the documentary, Care to Laugh, um, streaming now everywhere uh, with ARP Studios. So check that out. And yeah, that's it for everything else. Uh, yeah, Twitter at Jesus Trejo, JesusTrejo.com. Awesome. I appreciate you coming on, man. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Social Studies Podcast. Yo, 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 stop what you're doing. Text me, 1-313-251-1036. 1-313-251-1036. Text me the word pod, P-O-D, pod. You're going to go to my podcast texting group where we can chit chat paddywhack give a dog a bone stay in touch i'll give you cool prizes cool stuff and that's how i get the questions for the week that's how i do it you gotta text me in one three and three two five one one zero three six i love you guys so much hey zeus thanks for coming on my man i cannot wait till we can get together once i finally get my ass to la hey thanks guys so much and we'll see you next week bye why'd i do that try to catch me howling at the moon